know how they always say live and learn after a deeply personal and often surprisingly unpleasant experience? Well, I aim to turn that idiom on its head with more positive reinforcement through this podcast. Hi, I'm Shivraj Prashad, your host. The folks I've interviewed on my episodes have all taken that leap of faith to bring you the means to live a better life. I would ask every listener to think of one or two experiences in their own life when they have felt excluded. You know, it could be that you never made it to the quote-unquote cool group in school or where somebody passed a rude remark at you. Go back into your own memory and pull out an incident when somebody did not treat you the way you wanted to be treated. Mm. And then introspect and understand that what has been done to you on a rare occasion. Remember what has been done to you is now currently being done to a lot many more people. And if you can use your sense of memory to help and step up and make sure it does not happen to other people, we can really break the chain of humiliation, break the chain of exclusion and break the chain of discrimination. June was Pride Month and the corporate world all abuzz about diversity and inclusion or DNI. Some of us were approached to speak, advocate and address multicultural workforces and workplaces about being more sensitive to the needs of anyone identifying differently. But my question is, what about the remaining 11 months? Do we just let issues of differences like gender, sexuality and other identities of caste, creed, class and so on and so forth just be swept under as tick boxes, great to have, with little or no introspection on following through. What are the implications then? How does this impact corporate reputation, talent, the bottom line and the future of the workplace? To address these issues and more, it gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my next guest, Aparna Mittal, a leading equality, diversity and inclusion advisor, corporate lawyer and founder of Samana Center for Gender, Policy and law. Aparna Mittal, thank you for speaking to me on the Live and Learn podcast. And did I pronounce it right? Samna or Samana? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Yavraj, for having me over. I've been following your work for many, many, many years, and it's an absolute pleasure to join you on this podcast this afternoon. So it is Samana. Samana is a Kannada word, which means uh, equality. And that's the reason we picked that word to use it uh, to identify the work that we do in this space as equality consultants. That's very interesting. Now, tell us a little bit more about your journey from corporate law to setting up this diversity inclusion consultancy. What made you switch? Shivraj, uh, as you know, I was working with, you know, top tier Indian law firms. I had spent almost 12, 13 years there. I had been partner for almost five years. I just got bored. Uh, So that's the first aspect. And in spite of the work being very exciting, intellectually, very, very stimulating, working with a few of the best minds in the country. But after a time, the monotony kind of set in. And I decided to, you know, take a little bit of a break and go back to the drawing board to see how could I use my skills to do something different. And one thing which had been bothering me over the years was every time I was meeting clients in India and I worked excessively with uh, on cross-border mergers and acquisitions and a lot of other matters which involved working with senior level folks in organizations, I never met somebody who was from the LGBT community. And there were hardly any women in the room 
you know, the long form MA negotiations. Ironically, perhaps the lawyers or the corporate lawyers made up for the diversity quotient in the room because there were very many high performing women partners at the law firm I was working at and the other law firms would be in that room. But whether it was investment bankers, whether they were the chairmen or the board of directors, finance officers, legal officers, most of them were just a homogeneous lot of people we were interacting with. Mm. And I think uh, at some point, while I was interacting with companies, the fact that there were glaring gaps when it came to inclusion, not just of you know gender, but sexual minorities, religious minorities, etc. It was something I always kept noting in the back of my mind. And when I decided to do something different, I thought, why not? You know, when I see a big gap and a big learning awareness and initiative gap in the market, why don't I use my skills to really help companies become more inclusive in the long run? Hmm. And there is a direct linkage between success in business and being truly diverse, inclusive and equitable, right? Absolutely. But before we get there, Parna, for our listeners, I think it's very important, I turn to your expertise, if you could just break down what workplace diversity, equity, and inclusion really mean. I think I'll, I'll address both points that you have raised. In terms of there being a business case or there being business results, there have been extensive international studies run by very credible organizations which have studied enormous volumes of data which they have collected from, say, 2,000 companies spread over 15 jurisdictions and tracked that data for almost 6, 7, 10 years. And they have found some tangible parameters on which they realized that if the company was more diverse, whether it is ethnic diversity, gender diversity, or LGBT diversity, the performance of the company on certain economic parameters whether it was the compound annual growth rate or maybe the share price, they did a lot better than companies that were not diverse and not inclusive. Mm. And I think if we just break that down, it makes sense because what you're doing is you are actually getting your customer base, which is the whole wide world, mm. which consumes your goods and services. You're actually bringing them in into the workplace as your employees. And what that does, it makes each of your goods our products and services closer to reality to really be useful and add utility to everybody in the cosmopolitan world that we live in. And just from that perspective, I think it just makes logical and business sense to make sure that your products and services are more robust and they cater to a wider audience, so to speak. And it is very representational and therefore more appealing to your customer. But is it much more than just gender and sexuality? How do you ensure in today's very complex environment that everyone is counted in? Shivraj, this is something I, this is an issue I have been battling with uh, quite honestly uh, when I work with leading companies at corporate India. While gender persons with disability remain key pivots of intervention, we cannot ignore the fact that there are multiple segments of diversity mm. and there are multiple segments of marginalization and what institutional marginalization does over years whether it is socioeconomic background or it is lack of access to education is that it creates the divide between people who can access opportunity easily and those who will never even be able to uh, say qualify for an entrance exam somewhere mm. or even come through through an interview process that you put together. 
And I'm not saying here that, you know, we change our processes and and go into an area where merit is not important. But I think that, you know, our understanding of what is merit in itself is flawed. How can you judge merit of people without even giving them an opportunity to learn and to perform? Because I refuse to believe that only uh, X percentage of our population has the potential to perform at mm. corporate places. And really, it's about counting them in as well. Absolutely. So I think uh, to me, diversity and inclusion, and I'm just tying this back to your previous question, is means a holistic approach on three key pivots. One is that, are you engaged in proper affirmative action where you have created skill building programs, training programs, mentoring programs, and you find the right people to come into the talent pool of the organization? Because honestly, Shivraj, and I think both you and I have worked for you know more than 20 years in our respective professions. I think 10 on 10 candidates are very rare. Mm. In everybody you employ in a workplace, there is a lot of you know talent building, capacity building, nurturing that you have to do. And it is a lot of work over time to develop personalities and have help them evolve through the contribution curve that you see at the organization. And if you're willing to do that uh, with people who have come through your East entrance exams, why can't you do that in the pre-hire cycle as well? And look at most of the jobs. I mean, look at the retail companies. Look at a lot of the companies where they're actually recruiting people who have finished class 12 or are probably just, you know, 21 years of age with no specific technical qualification there. And anyway, they are skill building and training them. Now, when you're doing them for that for a majority community, why can't you do that for a minority community? And at least make sure you create financial inclusion for them and give them an opportunity to grow in the system. When you're defining your basket of who's marginalized, I think it is flawed to only look at it from the gender pivot. Mm. Because while gender remains one of the key aspects of intervention, in countries like India, you will find so many aspects of either discrimination or bias that you have to really create holistic programs where you can ensure that the right category or the right set of people are getting the benefit of your programs rather than just checking the box with saying, I've done this and I've done this mm. and not really understood where the benefit is flowing. And often I find corporates use terms like DI and E to embellish their titles and put them on their credentials and so on and so forth. But when you work with them, how do you explain the implications of not following through? How do you explain it so that it makes business sense to not just put it out there, but also follow through in the everyday working? I think two things on that point. One is it's important for every company to understand that there is no shortcut here to building a diverse and inclusive workplace. Look at all the large MNCs which have managed to really move the needle on equality. It has only come with consistent work and effort over decades. And these are very nuanced issues. The emerging themes of diversity keep changing. Maybe 10 years ago, we were not talking about age, but now we're talking about age diversity. A few years ago, we were not talking about bringing back veterans from the forces back to civilian jobs. And now we're talking about those aspects as well. So one is that, you know, the entire themes and focus of DNI keeps evolving time to time as our own learnings change. Like the whole Black Lives Matter aspect started a few years ago and the whole impetus it got in the past two years is very different from what we saw in the past 10 years. Mm. So 
any kind of DNI program, in addition to being agile, really has to be strategic and thought through. Because the corollary to that, or is that if you just do something for the heck of it, or you color your logo in pride colors on in June, but you haven't really changed your internal policies, your practices, your infrastructure, your workplace benefits, you have not created organizational readiness mm. to bring people who are different from the majority in. You can actually do more damage to people by that kind of an attitude. Because you have represented to the world that you are LGBT friendly and somebody who is LGBT may actually apply to the company, get the job and then land up there and realize mm. there are no specific benefits to help them perform at par. There is actually rampant discrimination or bullying or any kind of mistreatment meted out to them. And who is going to be responsible? I mean, one is, of course, the legal responsibility that you may get sued, somebody may come against you on a discrimination suit. But apart from that, there is a moral responsibility as well. When you bring people into your organization, it is your duty as an employer to make sure mm -hmm. that not only are they well provided for, that they are safe and protected. And the bare minimum that you ought to do for each dimension of diversity, you have done that to make sure they can perform in a happy, safe and productive environment. And anything short of that, I mean, I don't want to use words like hypocrisy. They are harsh words, but I think anything short of that is just dereliction of duty in some way, because you have represented something to the world and you truly haven't stepped up to live up to that expectation. And and we've seen instances where that corporate reputation is taking a beating because now you have social media in the mix. But turning to redressal, you know, the Vishaka judgment and posh or prevention of sexual harassment had provided templates for action. But are workplaces across the corporate and non-corporate worlds really equipped to handle harassment and discrimination? So Shivraj, that multiple facets to discrimination, you know, workplace harassment and discrimination, there are very detailed and nuanced aspects, which one has mm. to really get into detail to address each one of them. And sexual harassment is one subset of that umbrella basket of either workplace harassment or discrimination. So I'll come to Vishakha or Posh in a few seconds. But I think minus there being a specific comprehensive anti-discrimination legislation in the private sector, mm. it is important that companies in India, they have robust internal policies on equal opportunity, on redressal of bias, on non-discrimination, and any kind of workplace harassment. Because a lot of cases that we see typically and these are issues that come up in the pulse checks we run for organizations mm. or when we are doing deep dive assessments on diversity with organizations. This is the kind of feedback we get that somebody didn't get a promotion because of his caste background mm. or, you know, a maternity attorney was not given her due or was not promoted for three years, though she just took six and a half months off. So I think a lot of this comes up as workplace discrimination or or workplace harassment when specifically people are ragged or bullied or obnoxious comments which are non-sexual in nature are made about them. And posh, of course, is a category where the bullying or harassment or the action or conduct is unwanted and asexual in nature. So while in, to some extent the posh framework has helped companies have some mechanism, I think in the other basket we talked about, there is a glaring lacuna at present. 
And it is very important that companies really create a robust mechanism to address all forms of corporate harassment, bullying, discrimination, bias that comes up in the organization. So when you approach to work on issues of compliance and sustaining these behaviors, how important are issues of changing mindsets as much as reviewing policies and procedure? I think, uh, Shivraj, uh, you've hit the nail absolutely bang on because I think culture and mindsets Mm. are really the driving force of any kind of thought leadership or change in the organization. And clearly, it's a vicious cycle. I mean, if there is no awareness or mindset change or thought leadership, nobody is going to change the processes, policies, and whatever you need to make the place inclusive for that segment of diversity. And really, if you do have the best of policies, but you have not done anything to implement them or to create that culture of either compliance or inclusion, it's not going to have any effect. You know, I've seen so many companies where they put out a paternity leave policy of two months, Mm. but nobody took or availed the paternity leave because there was a lot of humiliation or embarrassment Mm. around taking paternity leave. So what's the point? I mean, that in effect, you're no different from another company which has only three days of paternity leave. So I think mindsets, it's critical. And I think corporates uh, have to step up and create positive, progressive change in thinking, not just internally, but externally as well. I mean, look at the vantage position they enjoy vis-a-vis their Mm. vendors, their customers, maybe companies they invest in, their subsidiaries. How can they really get onto the bandwagon and make sure that these conversations are not just you know, happy conversations to have, but they actually get institutionalized in their own process to make sure that there is a parameter in the company to understand the culture, where the company is going, and also to redress any kind of deviation or ensure that there is course correction wherever somebody has deviated from the global goals the company has set forth for itself. And just linked to that that whole issue of looking at the entire community externally and internally. The big question, how do workplaces, the physical workplaces and people who inhabit those provide the real space or accommodation for people of different persuasions? What will it take apart from mindset? I think it will take, uh, Shivraj, even though we use the word mindset, you know, mindset is not something you can switch on and switch off, you know, at the click of a button. Mm. I think it really starts with a lot of creation of awareness on why it is important. And I think at some level, you can't leave it to the individual will of the person. I mean, you can't give somebody an option whether they want to be inclusive or not inclusive. It really has to come clearly from the organization that to be a part of this organization, there is a particular bar or standard of inclusion we have to follow. And then it really comes with a lot of deep introspection. Even when there are senior leaders, uh, there are people who may have worked in the system for 40, 50 years. People have to be willing to understand that what they may have done so far may not have been the best approach. And clearly, if you have to grow your organization, if you have to get to an international scale where you are capable of interacting with people across jurisdictions, across all the segments of diversity, whether it's race or ethnicity or religion or caste or gender or sexual orientation, you really have to work hard internally to make sure that the bar is high and there is consistent effort made 
at every corner of the organization to really live that reality of inclusion and not just pretend to be doing that by changing the color of your logos for a particular month and if if companies are really forward looking you know given the diversity represented in today's workforce because generationally i think it's more linked it's more mobile i think the sense of inclusion employees get don't just contribute to the organization's performance but it makes very sound economic and business sense also right because it's no longer just about politics it's about it's about like you just said if you want to work across geographies and achieve the scale it makes sense so how do you when you work with organizations get them to see that the future is where it's at i think uh, it does take a lot of effort chavraj i'll be honest with you i think 3 3 and a half 4 years ago when i started samana there were hardly any co- companies in india talking about dni in fact a lot of people questioned my own move from hardcore you know mergers and acquisitions practice to dni saying because nobody had heard of dni mm. i think there is a lot of value in seeding thoughts and you know there has to be a lot of patience there has to be a lot of consistent effort and you have to give it that time for people to understand and learn and see how it is globally making a difference and i think just to add to what we have discussed you know shivraj every behavior or conduct has both a positive and a negative impact mm. so when we talk about dni we have of course talked about the benefit of the business impact that your goods and services are more robust you cater to a larger audience your workforce is more motivated you attract a larger talent pool all those are the positive impacts but if you will allow me i also want to talk about the negative impact mm, very important what is the cost of litigation what is the cost of loss of productivity mm. or the opportunity cost of your senior management trying to resolve a dispute or a litigation that comes up because you have harassed somebody or bullied somebody at the workplace or something else untoward has happened and what is the goodwill loss that will happen and how that can really pull your brand and whatever parameters of performance it has whether it is share price or it is just the customer voting index how it can really crumble if that is the kind of backlash you're getting because of things happening at the organization so really any sensible entrepreneur irrespective of the scale of the entrepreneur would like to put systems in place to preempt any situation which can lead to either a depletion in brand value or cause more contingent liabilities for the organization so like you would do you wouldn't run a business without a business license mm. or you know you wouldn't hire somebody without ensuring they have the right credentials why would you employ people without making sure that you have a particular level of organizational and cultural readiness so at some point it all the dots join together and point in the same direction that you have to be strategic you have to be thought out uh, slow and steady is always better and you really have to do it with a clear intentionality to make sure it gets implemented at every corner of the organization and finally what are the three to five keys to making the workplace friendlier for lgbtq plus and other employees i think uh, as you know lgbt you plus inclusion is one of the key focus areas of our work and i think if i were to talk about things one can do to make the organization inclusive it would take us another podcast <laughs> uh, you know entirely to talk about it but at a 30000 feet level and i think shivraj people really really want to make a difference they have to start by interacting with and understanding 
the community, understanding the issues they face at the workplace and understand the almost subtle ways in which people get discriminated against at the workplace. And unless you have an entire understanding of the community and within LGBTQ, there are multiple identities. Some identities have additional aspects to be looked after. Unless you have a clear understanding of what it entails and how really discrimination or exclusion manifests itself, you will not be able to create an organization which is inclusive. So that's the first interact with the community, be humble enough to learn from them and be willing to relook at what can we do to change our systems thoroughly from pre-hire to resign or retire and make sure they are inclusive. And the second bit is, you know, really take a microscope. And I emphasize on that word because you really have to look at every aspect and corner Hmm. of the organization, whether they are policies, processes, documentation, infrastructure, anything. You know, it could be the communication you use. It could be the the form somebody signs when they are getting onboarded in the organization. It could be your maternity benefit policy, which talks about women because Indian law talks about women. But you have to imagine the fact that somebody who is trans or who is a transgender man can also biologically carry a child. So are we going to wait up for somebody to come and ask or are we going to be sensible enough and make sure our policies are worded in a manner where specific benefits are available to everyone, irrespective of their gender or sexual orientation? And I think the third aspect is that really there has to be a lot of ongoing work to create safe spaces for the community, Mm. whether they are internal ERGs or whether it is an opportunity for other employees to become allies. And how do you really bridge this divide? You know, this divide has been there for years and years and years. Mm. A lot of people we talk to, they have not met a single LGBT person in their life. Mm. So at some point of time, you have to create safe spaces where people can interact, when people can learn, where people can step up as allies and really add to to the whole movement of inclusion by doing whatever they can do. And in doing that, I mean, the large corporations we work with, they have been doing this year on year consistently in different formats and coming up with many, many different varied ways of engaging the community and allies to make sure that the momentum is not lost. And to also raise the bar, you know, this is not just about saying, acknowledging somebody's presence. We have to go beyond that. Mm. We have to really integrate people and integrate them at a point of evolution where it actually becomes gender neutral or neutral to somebody's sexual orientation. It has to grow the entire path of inclusion that after a point and that Typically, I think takes about five to six to seven years for any corporation to reach a point where it just does not matter anymore. Anyone with credentials and merit can walk in, get a job and perform at par without any kind of inhibitions or apprehensions, either which way, uh, in terms of performance or safety at the organization. And just picking up on that, because that's a very critical inflection point. Now, Live and Learn is all about leaving listeners with something to really think about. From your perspective, if I were to ask you for that one single message, what would that be? I would ask every listener to think of one or two experiences in their own life when they have felt excluded. You know, it could be that you never made it to the quote-unquote cool group in school 
or when somebody passed a rude remark at you, go back into your own memory and pull out an incident when somebody did not treat you the way you wanted to be treated. Mm. And then introspect and understand that what has been done to you on a rare occasion or has, or perhaps, and I don't intend to trigger a, any of our audience in terms of past memories, but remember what has been done to you is now currently being done to a lot many more people. And if you can use your sense of memory to help and step up and make sure it does not happen to other people, we can really break the chain of humiliation, the break the chain of exclusion and break the chain of discrimination. And really, it requires each one of us, no matter who we are, where we are, what day jobs we do, what our, how much time we have in the day, it does not matter. I think each one of us can practice and live DNI. And it really takes a few minutes for you to close your eyes and think, how am I contributing or being a barrier in this chain of inclusion? And if all of us can tweak that two things in our behavior, where we have you know, had some bias about certain people, or we know we don't like certain members of the community in a particular reason, introspect, change that and try and address it. I think we will create a tsunami of progressive good change, which will change the face of corporate India and social India as well. And really, it is about not having just a pride month or a red letter day. It's about doing it, as you said, in a sustained manner. Aparna, so much that you've said makes so much sense and I hope our listeners really benefit from it. Thank you ever so much for speaking to the Live and Learn podcast. You're most welcome, Shivraj, and thank you for everything that you do to you know spur on these conversations and help your audience explore different dimensions of multicultural living and working, especially in the current context of where we are in this country. You can also listen to past episodes of the Live and Learn podcast on liveandlearn.busprout.com. You can always reach me at shivraj at brevis.in in case you feel there is someone we should feature on the show. Also, if you have some feedback for me. Until then, stay safe and stay in touch.